0: So, uh, if, it, if any of y'all have y'all's Bibles, would you please turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 11 is the scripture we're going to be looking at today. So, I have say, it is a complete honor, it is a complete privilege, it is a blessing to stand before you today. To get the privilege of proclaiming the gospel in truth and in love And I would like to say thank you to everybody who's here today that I get to preach to, but I would also like to say thank you to the members of the church. I've grown up in this church for really as long as I can remember. I went through the kids' ministry program, I went through the youth ministry program, and now I'm getting the privilege to preach here, so it's just awesome. I know even some of you in here probably taught me in youth or in Sunday in Bible school, so it's It's a surreal experience. So um, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 11. And in this contains possibly one of the best testimonies ever given in the Scripture. And this is a testimony given by Paul. And it is a testimony that is simple and straight to the point. It is not a testimony of self-worth. It is not a testimony of self-interest. In a sense, it's not even a moving testimony that Paul, he doesn't talk about all the great things he overcame. He doesn't talk about how he pulled himself up from the bootstraps and how good he was. But it was all centered upon Christ and Christ alone. So as I was preparing for today in the previous weeks, I had wrote two sermons, one for First Baptist and the other one for uh, Story Point here. I then preached at the waterfront last Wednesday and used the text we will be looking at as a cross-reference to uh, what I was preaching on in Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 13 was what I was preaching on. But after preaching at the waterfront this Wednesday, I was just meditating on the scripture in Philippians that I used as the cross reference. And God really spoke to me, and he spoke to me through his word. And he was like, Carson, you need to preach on this text. So I'm here standing before you preaching on this text. But there's two reasons why I chose this text. One of the reasons I think this text is valuable, because it is a great example for us to help share and make our testimonies. Paul gives us a great building block that we can build our testimonies off of. I mean, what better way to build a testimony than looking at how scripture tells a testimony? So that's one of the reasons. But, many people recognize that there's a problem in the modern day American church. It is filled with professing Christians that go to church on Sunday, that go to church on Wednesday, that take pride in that, but is filled, the church is filled with many that do not know Christ, that do not live like Christians outside of the church. And this text, Paul's testimony perfectly addresses that problem of finding your identity and coming to church on a Sunday or Wednesday or being a Christian because you say the right things, Paul cuts right to the heart. So let's start by reading verses 4 through 6. It reads, If Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So, this is Paul's life before meeting Christ. He is utterly lost in his self righteousness. The first thing he is lost in is his rituals. Verse 5 tells us he was proud of and used circumcision as a means of his salvation, as a means of assurance of his salvation. Circumcision, of course, was a common Jewish ritual. It was a sign of the covenant of God that he made with Abraham's descendants. It was passed down from generation to generation, and it is still practiced to this day. However, Paul here Boast not only about being circumcised, but being circumcised on the eighth day. This is to say he got circumcised in on the perfect time just when he was supposed to. In Genesis it is said to be circumcised on the eighth day, so that means he was born into a Jewish family who followed the Jewish ritual, so he was circumcised at the perfect time. He put his boast, he boasted in that. So the next thing Paul boasted on is his race. He says, I was of the people of Israel, he tells us in verse 4. This is made abundantly clear throughout the Old Testament that the Israelite people were God's chosen people, God's chosen race. So he found his salvation, and he thought he was saved because of his race. The next thing Paul put his trust in for salvation was his relationships with others. He says... That he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He came from the tribe of Benjamin. This was one of the good tribes of Israel. It was a tribe known for their courage and their boldness in the Old Testament. This tribe was pure blooded. It came through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not only did Paul find hope in his tribe, though, he also found hope in his parents, his parental relationship, his family. He tells us he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. That is, that his parents are both from Hebrew descent. Meaning he grew up with Hebrew parents and Hebrew traditions. The next thing Paul placed in his faith then was being a Pharisee. That's in his religion. The Pharisees were known for their rigorous upholding of the law. And it was this that they took their pride in. The Pharisees even made more laws to prevent the from breaking the other Old Testament laws. They were so extreme that they would not even intermingle with the other Jews, much less the pagans at the time. So we see, Paul has the right rituals, he is from the right race, he has the right relationships, and he is a part of the most prestigious religion. Now, I was going to try to be good and flow with the things and come up with two more things that started with an R, but I wasn't that good, so we're going to have to take two more things and they don't start with R's. But we see Paul, the next thing that he boasts in is his emotions. He says in verse 6 that he was zealous. This is an emotion, a passion, a desire for something. So we see that he has the right emotions. The next thing we see Paul do and that Paul boasts in is his actions. Paul didn't just perform the rituals. He did not just follow the right religion, but he was hands-on and he took action by persecuting the church. I name these different categories of things for us to check our own hearts and see what it is that we may be placing our faith in. The first thing I want to mention is the first thing that Paul did, and that was a ritual. I wonder how many of you in here today put their trust, put their faith, think they are saved because they got baptized when they were younger, or perhaps you prayed a sinner's prayer when you were younger. Perhaps some of you are placing your faith in your race. You say, Carson, what do you mean by that? I believe we have two things we need to guard our hearts again when it comes to our race. The first is our nation as a race, our nation as a whole we see religion as a large part of our nation. We have one nation under God in our pledge, and God we trust on our money. Just around two-thirds of the country identifies as being Christian. Now, I don't know how true that is, but just do not think that you are part of a Christian country because you are in an area where Christianity is so prevalent, or that everybody in this nation is a Christian. Don't think you are a Christian because of that. Now, in recent times, it has become easier to see what once was a country centered around God has drastically changed. But still, I want to be abundantly clear that you are not saved by the nation you are in. There's no group entrance to heaven. When we mention race, there's one race that especially feels entitled to be considered righteous. And some of you probably are thinking all sorts of different things, but it's the human race. Lots of people do not place true saving faith in Christ because they think God is too loving to send people to hell. They think because they are human that they deserve salvation, that if they're just good enough, then they will be fine. As long as they don't do anything bad, as long as they check the right boxes, they're good to go but it could not be farther from the truth. Perhaps one of the things you could be holding on to is a relationship. Perhaps your tribe, so to say, is all Christian. Maybe all of your friends are Christian. Maybe you have some good Christian friends. Maybe you have good relationships with a pastor or a missionary or some people that are Christian. Or maybe you've grown up in a Christian family. Your parents are both Christian. You've grown up going to church, but that is not what saves you. There's no family member that can save you. It doesn't matter if your whole family is saved. Or maybe some of us may take pride in our religion. You might be a religious person. Go to church every Sunday. Know some scripture verses. Check all the boxes for being a Christian. Say all the right things but that is not what faith is. Maybe you try and use your emotions to try and justify your salvation as Paul did. That when we feel a certain way when we sing, we say, yep, that's it. Or when someone preaches a sermon, we feel this certain good way, and we're like, yep, that's it. That's where our salvation is in. Or maybe even we do all these things, we have some of these things, and we take action. Maybe you're like, I teach a Bible study class, or I've been on a mission trip, or I've done these good works, so surely I must be saved. So that is not enough for salvation, and that is not what salvation is. You say, Carson, you're crazy. I mean, if I got baptized, if I felt some emotions, all my family is Christian, I know the preacher real well, I go to church every Sunday, I mean, that's got to be enough to be saved, right? Notice what Paul says in verse 4, and we read it. It says, though I myself have some reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He is saying here, if there was any way you could get salvation, if there was any way you could be good enough, if there was any way you could be righteous without Christ, he would have been able to do it better than you could. That's why he gives us this long list of achievements he has done. That's why he tells us about his rituals, his race, his relationship, religion, emotion, and actions. Most of the people in here could be only counting on one of these things to save them. But Paul was counting on all, all six. six. He had a perfect combination of them all. So no, whatever you may have done, whatever works you may have done, whatever rituals, race, relationships you may be boasting in, that Paul had it better. And so then we get to the heartbeat of verse 7, and it's the heartbeat of Paul's testimony. He says, whatever were once gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. It is important that we note what the gain and the loss terms are here. And they're actually terms that come up in the Greek in the Bible, but they also come up outside of the Bible. These are financing terms, whereas gains would be like business gains, like profits, And where loss would be like a business loss, like the cost. And at the time, and to this day, when people do accounting, they will take and they will put the losses on one side, and they will put the profits, the business gains, on the other. And this is the dramatic transformation of Paul. And it's the dramatic transformation that needs to happen in our lives. Anything we think that can work our way to heaven... Anything we think that can make us saved that is not Christ, and Christ alone needs to be thrown into the lost category. And the only gain we should have is Christ, and Christ alone. That is the transformative power of the gospel that everything we once tried to do as a means to obtain our salvation, everything we once relied upon to achieve salvation, was thrown as not only neutral, it was not only neutral, as Paul says, but it was considered a loss, a loss. It was considered negative. And the only means of hope, and not only hope, but such a delightful promise, was Christ and Christ alone alone the one and only one worthy of our gain category in our life. The only one deserving of our gain category. So my first question to you is for you to search your heart, to search it truly, and see maybe what you could be holding on to, what religious things that you're thinking that are your salvation. Because it must Be 100% Christ and nothing else. You cannot have 99% faith in Christ and 1% your baptism. You can't have 99% faith in Christ, period. You say, Carson, that's harsh. Brothers and sisters, if we choose to demean Christ like that, then you are the one that is being harsh. You say, what do you mean? How are you going to take something, how are you to put something on an equal level as Christ? How are you going to place something as even the same ballpark as Christ? Now, it's not necessarily bad to elevate that 1%, that other thing you may be holding on to. However, that means you are degrading the other 99% of your faith that you have in Christ. That you're saying Christ was not good enough in and of himself, I need him for my salvation, but I also need this or that for my salvation. You were saying that the one and only Son of God who lived a holy, just life and died on the cross was not enough. I do not care what you place in the gain category. It could be from drugs all the way up to baptism. Whatever you place there is blasphemy against God. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying here. Great Christian rituals are important. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, these are important things that we are commanded to do. And it is a blessing to be of the human race, to receive the love of God, and not only a part of the human race, but of a country that was built upon Christian ideas. It is a wonderful privilege it is a blessing to be a part of Christian relationships. And it is important for us to have good Christian relationships. And it is a blessing to have grown up in a Christian family myself. And it is also beneficial to have emotions. We should feel a certain way when we hear a preacher preach. And we should feel a certain way when we are worshiping God. And we are also to do work. We are also to take actions. We are also to be the hands and feet in Jesus. Yet, if we place any of those as equal to Christ or of any of those as gains, we are off, we are wrong. This is why it is often why the people say that the American church-going people are often the hardest to reach with the gospel because they want to take, their knowledge, plus their relationships, plus that they think they've been to church so many times, that surely they're saved. Unfortunately for many, it cannot be farther from the truth. It is by Christ and through Christ and through faith in Christ alone. I would also like to point out how Paul phrases his statements. He says, for the sake of Of Christ he counted these things lost, for the sake of Christ. He had to throw away the things he once so passionately followed. He had to consider them losses in order to gain Christ. He didn't gain Christ without considering them a loss. You cannot hold on and gain Christ. Also, looking into the details of this here, notice for whose sake he did it. It wasn't for his own benefit. Paul had been a very self-centered before his conversion. Paul had been very self-righteous before his conversion. Yet he considered that a loss for the sake of Christ. Not so he could benefit himself, but for the sake of Christ. He wasn't looking at what benefits following Christ. He wasn't looking at what benefits Christianity would get to him. He wasn't looking for a get out of hell free card. But he did it for the sake of Christ. Because he recognized Christ was worthy. That Christ was holy. And Christ alone deserved all of the praise, honor, and the glory. Not any of his own works. Not any of his rituals. So my first question to you was what were you holding on to that you thought could save you besides Christ? What else were you putting your faith in? Perhaps some of you maybe didn't think about it hard or didn't do much heart searching and said, yep, I know it's Christ. I mean, I don't have anything good in myself. Great for you. Well, Paul takes it up another octave here. He makes it more challenging. And it's in verse seven. and it, Verse 7, he starts us off by saying, what is more? He's hinting here that we are about to be even more challenged. He says, what is more? I considered everything a lost. Now, perhaps some of you in here today aren't holding on to any religious things. But I'm sure some of you in here have things in your gain categories that should not be there. You have things that should be in your loss category. Perhaps it is money. Perhaps it is fame. Perhaps it is success. Perhaps it is other people's attention, even good things like family. Understand, you must count it as a loss. When you come to Christ Jesus as Lord, you must throw away anything and everything that used to be considered good and trade everything for Christ. You say, it doesn't say that. He just says he considers it all a loss. He surely doesn't say you have to consider everything a loss. Let's continue reading, shall we? In verse 8, it says, I consider everything a loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. In order to gain Christ, you must let go. You must place nothing else in your gain category besides him. The apostle Paul here could not make it any more clear. And as a way of a building block for our testimonies, we need to make that clear, that we cannot hold on to the things of this world. We had to let go of everything we used to take pride in and throw it away for the sake of Christ. But perhaps you think this is only Paul who demands this, that maybe you get off the hook here. It's only Paul, right? You can hold on to a little bit of stuff and hold on to Christ as well. The Gospel of Luke does a great job at portraying that that's not true. He points out in his Gospel, he records the words of Jesus, where Jesus says, If anyone should come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. And that same Gospel, the words of Jesus are recorded to as of saying, If one does not renounce all that he has, He cannot be my disciple. I beg you, urge you, to let go of whatever you might have so you may truly know Christ, that you would come to the place, not only faith, not only a 99% faith, but a true 100% saving faith in Christ that is sufficient, that is so glorious that it makes Everything you have seem like rubbish, but you cannot cling onto this world. You cannot cling onto yourself and cling onto the cross at the same time. You either have to let go of everything and cling onto the cross, or get stuck in this world. There is no best of both worlds when it comes to following Christ. You were either all the way in or you were all the way out. And I believe this is another reason why it is so hard to see religious people, people that go to church and place their faith in going to church or doing these works saved because they think they're so close. They got 99% faith, they're so close to salvation. And my fifth grade teacher had a great saying, Jesus said close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. And the saying applies true to your salvation. Having 99% Christ is not going to cut it. It is all or nothing. But there's a great joy in having Christ and Christ alone. Because we get a package deal when it comes to having Christ. And Paul addresses it Perfectly in his testimony. But I also want to look at and take note of one of the words here it says in verse 8. When it says, I consider them rubbish. This word rubbish, you might see it as garbage, in, depending on what translation you're looking at. But this is a very extreme, it's a very harsh word in the Greek, and I can let you imagine what the word means in the English language, but it is human waste, that he considers everything human waste, absolutely worthless when compared to Christ. And so you're thinking, man, I have to let go of all these things. But guys, when we get Christ, when we obtain Christ, when we attain salvation, everything seems like rubbish because of that. It all seems like trash. And that is what is so glorious about the salvation. And so when we get Christ, we don't get just Christ and that's it. We get a package deal with Christ. We get what's known as salvation, and salvation has four different steps, and Paul addresses them perfectly in his testimony. It is almost like we're reading a book of systematic theology here. We get regeneration. We get justification. We get sanctification and glorification. Regeneration. This is the first step of being born again. This is the first step in our salvation and it is our new birth, being born again. We are given a new heart with new desires and passions, as well as a new purpose in life. Paul bring this up, brings this up in two ways. The first is quite obvious. Paul talks about his previous life, that he was a self-centered Pharisee. How he was righteous in the end of himself, and he did all his good works to obtain salvation. And then we see him and we hear him talk about, "Throw away his old life and be born again, received a new life, one that is centered around Christ." Perhaps the more hidden one we find is in verse eight, when it says, "To know Christ," Verse eight when it says. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So this knowing, it's not a simple head knowledge, but it's experiential knowledge. As one having come to know one by an experience. And it's a real intimate knowledge, only one that could be found by being born again. It is the knowledge in Matthew when Jesus says that many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, but I will tell them to depart from me for I never knew you. That's the type of knowledge that Paul is talking about, That is Paul is being referred to here. It's not just a head knowledge, but it's a heart knowledge. So, Let's see. An experiential knowledge of being born again is what Paul is referring to. Paul next addresses justification. Justification is a process where you, by the grace of God, are given the righteousness of Christ. Verse 9 tells us that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own, but that which comes through having faith in Christ, know that Paul, the best of a man when it comes to obtaining his outward righteousness, was not good enough. He fell short. We all in here are way below him. And so we all fall way short. But we have this great blessing of salvation that we are born again. We are transformed we live transformed lives because of it but when we are born again we are given Christ righteousness by grace through faith it is imputed it is given to us so that we can stand clean and holy before a perfect god because lord knows without Christ we would all be so unclean so unworthy we see Paul again repeat this at the end of verse 9, saying the righteousness that comes through God on the basis of faith. Paul, in his short little testimony, we see repeats these ideas a rather a lot, that it is not by him, it is not by his self-works, but it is by Christ and Christ alone, and it is not his works, but it is his faith and faith alone. The next step that Paul addresses here is his sanctification. Let's read verse 10, shall we? It says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. The process of sanctification comes through the power that we are given through Jesus' death. It is that power that we use to sanctify ourselves, to make us holy, to eradicate the sin in our lives. It is through that power we work, and through that power that we can use a persecution as an aid to us. Persecution is often one of the most sanctifying experiences anyone can have. It forces people to take the gospel seriously. It forces people to take Christianity seriously. Oftentimes, we see in churches around the nations where there's often terrible persecution, we see the church exploding One of the examples is in Russia and Ukraine right now. The church is exploding because there are true Christians sharing the gospel in the midst of this terrible crisis. And so that is what the church is supposed to do, explode amidst persecution. And it is a way of sanctification. I want to point out just briefly What can somebody persecute if it is all considered a loss besides Christ? They cannot persecute you if Christ is your only gain. Because they cannot take Christ away from you. Christ is going to be with you. No matter what. That's the end of the Great Commission. And I will be with you to the very end of the age. Christ is with us. And so when he is with us and persecution comes, they're not going to take away him. They'll take away some of what's in our loss category, though. They'll take away what is considered rubbish, what is considered worthless. In a way, they're taking out the trash for you. In a way, they're cleaning up the dog poop for you. It is considered a waste and rubbish. So... The last step of salvation, we see, is glorification. And it's the last step Paul addresses. It is in verse 11, and it reads, and so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This resurrection from the dead is referring to the rapture, when we will get our glorified final bodies and we will come up to meet Jesus, Notice the somehow, though, in the beginning of verse 11. Some of you may be reading it and be like, somehow, is Paul confused here? Is he like, ah, somehow, I don't really know how it's going to happen. No, that is not what Paul is doing. He is recognizing that it is all by his grace and all by his power, and somehow Christ loved him so much that he did this. That a man who once was utterly lost in himself, who once held on to so many works and things to achieve his so-called salvation, was dramatically met by God. And he dropped all of everything, considered everything rubbish, upon being regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And was instantaneously given Christ's righteousness, which contained the power to help sanctify him and carry him through persecutions. And in return, carry him to heaven. And to be able to stand before God and counted as righteous. And then he was given a new, will be given a new heavenly perfect body and to be in union with Christ God and all the other believers. That somehow Christ was that gracious to provide all of that. Somehow God let him trade his whole life for his sake. And what Christ Paul was able to gain was somehow so much far greater than everything that he could achieve on this world, and somehow it was so great it made everything seem like rubbish, made everything seem like human waste. I hope for some of you here today that this is a building block upon which we can build our testimony that it's not centered around us. It's not centered around how we pulled it up by the bootstraps, our own good stuff. But our testimony is that we were once utterly lost. We were way out there, not deserving anything, but that we point others to Christ, not ourselves. And that's the reason why I'm up here is not to point at me and say, man, I look good up here preaching, but to point to Christ, that you may see Christ in his goodness. And that's the point of our testimonies, It's to point to Christ in his goodness, his graciousness, that he could allow such a sinner, such a messed up person to become righteous to become saved to receive the great wonderful gift of salvation. And so I hope for some of you we can rearrange our testimonies a little bit. So hope for some of you hearing this it encourages you to share your testimony. We have the great commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so we have this command, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you to the very end of the age. And so that is what we are commanded to do. And yet, as the modern church, we are struggling, sharing our testimonies. As a church, I would like to encourage us to talk with people, share our testimonies. I mean, look what Jesus did for Paul. Look what Jesus did in our own lives. How are we not telling people about it? How do we have such a great news and keep silent? And then lastly, I hope for some of you in this room, you realize that you're holding on to something. Something else is in the gain category of your life that shouldn't be in the gain category of your life. Maybe you're putting your trust in that you got baptized when you were younger. Maybe you're putting in tr- your trust in that you show up to church every Sunday. But no, it should be in Christ and Christ alone. Not by your works, but by faith and faith alone. Thank you all so much for listening to me. Brad's going to sing a song, and uh, Brent will come up here after.